0: You're listening to a Policing TV podcast, Talking Crime with Danny Shaw. Welcome to Policing TV in this edition of Talking Crime with me, Danny Shaw, and I'm joined today by Sergeant Phil Matthews from Nottinghamshire Police. He's a board member uh, of the National Police Federation and also speaks Uh, for the Police Federation on conduct issues. Phil, thank you very much for joining us on Policing TV. You're welcome. Can I ask you, first of all, um, there has been a lot of controversy recently about cultural issues in the police, conduct, some officers going through misconduct processes and then being allowed to keep their jobs or to stay, in some cases promoted. What kind of message do you think that sends out to the wider public when that happens?
1: Um, I think it's very easy to judge based on a a snapshot and a headline. But, um, you know, if those officers have stayed, then there are independent chairs that have looked at the case and they don't deserve to be dismissed. So I think the public should have confidence in the system. Um, it's very easy to make a sort of, um, a headline, if you like, out of a case. And you can be shocked and dismayed by that headline without actually knowing the real context. And policing, um, particularly with the hearings, they they lack the context when they get into the media. And um, we deal with incredibly difficult situations every day with some very, very difficult, troubled individuals that have real issues. And we have to do things in a a real time um, instant. Um, And you don't often get the luxury of sort of freeze frame thinking about what your reaction is going to be. So it's you have to understand that context when officers sometimes do get things wrong. And um, and that's the sort of lens that we want hearings to actually look at um, our members under, that they are humans trying to do a really difficult job under really difficult circumstances. And sometimes they make mistakes. That doesn't mean to say that they need to be dismissed or that the service will be worse off um, for keeping them in. It's not the case. You know, over a, over a long period, police officers are really dedicated, committed individuals that set their sort of life um, um, about helping the public. And if they, something's gone wrong in a split second, do they deserve to lose their job and their career? Um, or can they learn and can they actually um, be a better officer moving forward? And that's what um, we need the public to understand.
0: I think the public perhaps will understand that. I think what's harder perhaps for people to understand is some of the cultural problems in officers using completely inappropriate language. And yet they apparently keep the jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and people going, well, what's going on there? I mean, we've seen some cases in London particularly yeah. of that.
1: Yes. Um, some of this, you have to, again, um, police officers are entitled to a private life. And, and some, of the, uh, some of the messaging and things you're referring to are sort of private conversations. Like, we have to remember we are a reflection of society. There will be people that have diverse thoughts that we don't necessarily all agree with within um, the police. And where we find those, we do tend to root them out. Um, but it's modern technology, modern life. Um, you or I, when we've grown up, didn't have phones. Uh, if we were to have a conversation with somebody, it would be face-to-face, whereas now it's all done online. And once it's online, once it's on um, uh, a written format, it's out there. And, it's, uh, and that's the thing that police officers of the modern day have, haven't got their head around. When they join the force, they're still you know, glued to their phones, their screens, and dealing with 21st century life. And actually, we're held to a different standard. And um, when we do find that sort of behaviour, we do tend to root it out. But again, you have to look at the context those were in. Some of those people have kept their jobs because they weren't the originators. And again, it's very easy to see a headline and think, oh, my God, that's disgraceful. They all need dismissing. But actually, we have confidence in the hearing system that those that need to get dismissed do get dismissed. Those that don't, that can learn and be a, a value to society moving forward, will keep their jobs.
0: Do you think the misconduct system works properly and and has is robust, robust. independent and timely? Would, would you say it satisfies those three criteria?
1: Um, not all three. Uh, there are still some improvements that we'd like to see made. Um, I think it's, it's been a great help having independent chairs that are legally qualified to hear um, the cases because that's put more perspective on things. There's still a police officer on the panel, so they get that sort of... Um, Policing experience, knowledge, um, uh, and the sort of cultural issues from a force, because every force is very different in the way that they operate and the policies and procedures they use. But I think it's it's brilliant from a, a public perspective because they're well. One of the public queries was they should be more open. Uh, there's still quite a few that are held in private um, for various different reasons, but that's a matter for the legally qualified chair to decide. Um, but we think it's been a benefit. Um, they still aren't done as quickly as we'd like them to. And we think uh, the forces need to make greater use of reflective practice with the new regulations. Unfortunately, those new regulations came into force literally about two weeks before COVID hit. And we went into a lockdown, so they didn't really have the ability to um, embed that. And we sort of instead we went back almost to what we knew, which was the old regulations. So we think there's still too much getting into the hearing system that should be dealt with at a lower level much quicker and faster so that the officers can get on with their day job.
0: Let's just unpick some of those things first of all. Let's talk about legally qualified chairs. So you you as the Federation representative on this are saying we like having independent legally qualified chairs. Yes. But there's been a report recently which says we need to go back to the old system where a a senior officer (coughs) shared the misconduct panel because it looks as though... The legally qualified chairs are sort of letting some officers get away with it, or, or letting some officers off.
1: That's certainly come out in a couple of reports. There's a, a police foundation report, and also the Home Affairs Select Committee have done a report on timeliness as well. And they both mentioned that the Home Office should review uh, the role of legally qualified chairs. We have utmost confidence in them, um, and we don't think this needs tampering with because it was changed for a reason back in t- 2016 because the public didn't have confidence um, in the system. They thought that chiefs were far too lenient. We, on the other hand, our members who went through the process felt that they were kangaroo courts um, and they were dismissed because to satisfy a public clamour based on a headline without the full context of knowledge of what went on. So we have much more confidence in the hearing system with legally qualified chairs um, doing it. Um, and is, still... is,
0: is that because your members are you know, either being found guilty at a lesser rate or, 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 or have charges downgraded more often than they did previously? <clears throat> so, well, of
1: course, if it's not a kangaroo court,
0: you'd obviously fa- favour it, wouldn't you?
1: We would, but actually my experience is that it's dealt with at the right level. Those that need to be dismissed are still dismissed. Um, but I think... What's happening is forces are pushing too many cases where officers don't need to be dismissed into that hearing process. And so the numbers are artificially high and then they're really shocked and surprised why people don't get dismissed um, because they shouldn't have been there in the first place. And some of that is compounded by the time it takes to get a case through to a hearing. Whereas if you could deal with it at a much lower level, sort of um, reset button if, for the officer if you like, you know, this went wrong, let's talk about it, let's make sure it doesn't happen in the future then you get that officer back dealing with the public how they should be and you get a better officer for umpteen years afterwards.
0: So your argument really is there are actually just too many cases that are going to misconduct They're putting the
1: wrong cases forward to misconduct hearings. So it creates a headline, it creates the expectation from the public, well there must be something in this because they're putting this person through a hearing. And then that's what creates the public uncertainty if you like when officers don't get dismissed because they don't Look at or see the subtext and the context of why they were there in the first place, and the, re- the rationale for why that that job went wrong.
0: And that's a fault with the Independent Office for Police Conduct, is it? The IOPC. Uh,
1: well, we say they get their case to answer threshold far too um, set it far too low, and that's that set wrong. In,
0: but that's set in in law, isn't it?
1: It, it is, um, but we still say they interpret it wrong because it should be um, where there is. Um, it's a 50-50, so it's one person's word against another. That's the sort of threshold. So if um, I arrest you in a dark alley and there's only you and my word for it, that's the threshold they should use. That should go to a hearing to allow the, the panel to to hear both witnesses and, and make their own decision based on what they hear. What we find is where there's, there's lots and lots of evidence that corroborate our members and a single bit of evidence um, against them, they are sending those to panels um, on the basis that, well, the the panel could ignore everything else and just believe that one piece. That's not what the threshold was set for. It was set for that 50-50, one person's word against another, not uh, when it's all stacked one way and there's just one piece of evidence against our membership. Um, And those are the cases that we see that drag on for a long time, go into panels, they raise the expectation of the public, because they only see that headline, oh my God, this is outrageous. What they don't see is all the other evidence that corroborates our members' uh, view and they then get, they don't get a dismissal, um, and, and the publics get outraged by that. And they shouldn't be, they should have confidence that that was the right decision from an independent, legally qualified person who's chairing that.
0: But if the IOPC didn't push some of those cases towards misconduct panels, they'd have criticism from the other side, from the complainant or the complainant's representatives. We understand
1: the position the IOPC are in. They've got um, a balancing act to do, but they are supposed to be independent. And actually, we would really like them to come out early with some of their cases to say, nothing to see here. Um, We're not doing it. Um, Because, unfortunately, once you've set that train in motion, um, it feeds that negativity in the headlines and... It's no good going well, you know, we knew that was going to be the result, but we had to put it there. They should actually be bolder with their decision making and actually um, and, and make some of those tough choices and, and, and be there to say to the public, actually, we've looked at this and we think the officer's done the right thing here. And we don't think they do that enough. They're starting to. Uh, I am encouraged by the direction that the IOPC have gone. They've made great um, leaps and bounds forward for where we were um, a few years ago. Um, and I think under Mr Lockwood, they've um, really changed and started to change. Um, and we have a good relationship with them moving forward. But there is still a lot of room for improvement. And we particularly over timeliness and their case to answer test would like to see more changes.
0: Yes, I wanted to come on to um, timeliness, first of all. They have reduced the time, haven't they, of how long their investigations take? And that's, that's a have. considerable improvement. They have,
1: yes. And we and we'd really praise them for doing that. However, there is still a a really large body of complaints that are just sort of stuck in limbo, um, where they've done their investigation, but they're waiting for other processes. Um, And we say we'd we'd really like them to tell us what they're waiting for, so that we can actually point the finger at you know, whether that's the courts, whether that's the forces uh, delaying things, whether it's the hearing process, whether it's inquests, so that we can actually start putting political pressure to speed those cases up so that our officers aren't just left in limbo for years on end whilst other processes happen.
0: Now, you mentioned reflective practice. Now, are you saying that actually there should be fewer misconduct cases and more cases dealt with earlier where the officers taken aside and said, look, this this didn't go very well, you made a mistake, we really need to reflect and learn from what went wrong here. Is that what you're getting at?
1: Yes, the new regulations have um, allowed for... Um, breaches of the standards of professional behaviour to be dealt with differently. So in the old days or the previous regulations any form of breach of any of our standards of professional behaviour was a misconduct offence and you could go to a panel on. Now you can breach those standards but it has to be so serious as to require a written warning on your record which is quite a serious thing for a police officer to have on their record um, for it to be classed as misconduct. So for example not filling in your pocketbook. Technically, that's a breach of the standards. You're supposed to fill it in. You're supposed to keep it updated. There may be a very good reason why you haven't. Um, or it could be that you've, done, you've deliberately done something wrong in order to you know, manipulate a case and evidence. So you could have the one offence, but it could be, you know, actually I was dealing with a murder here and that's why I haven't done it. In the old, de- in the old money, that would still be a breach. You could still go to a hearing. Whereas now... They would look at that and go, actually, I can understand why you've done that. How do we improve this moving forward? What can we do to change organizationally to make sure that doesn't happen? How can you learn as an officer to make sure that you keep on top of it and you don't do that in the future? And it, it's that sort of thing that should be dealt with much quicker, much swifter, and um, almost act as a reset for the officer, going, oh my God, I've, I've made a mistake here. And people can then own up to their mistakes, own them, and actually develop and get better.
0: And why are we not moving to a system like that or not quickly enough?
1: Um, I think it's partly because the new regulations came into force just as uh, lockdown hit and COVID struck the nation. So um, they didn't really get a chance from professional standards um, directorates to embed and and work their way through the, the regulations. So they sort of, because everybody was working distantly, remotely, it was stick with what you know. So culturally, I don't think it, it was the great, greatest start for those reforms. We're starting to see that take place now, but it's almost now happening at the wrong end of the system. So it, it, it's happening when things fall out of hearing process, almost as an afterthought, going, oh, well, you can have some reflective practice. We, we couldn't get that home, so you can have some reflective practice. And we're really keen to get the statistics from the 2020 regulations changes, which should be out any day. Um, from the Home Office, because that will actually tell us whether forces have taken up that reflective practice. If you see a, a high number of um, cases going to hearings that don't end in dismissal, that means they've got that wrong, that threshold wrong, and they're sending the wrong cases to hearings. So if it, you know, go into a hearing, it should be pretty much cut and dried, you should be dismissed in the, in the new uh, regulations, but if, if they're not getting those dismissals and we're getting lesser sanctions or no sanctions, that means they've got that threshold wrong and they're not using reflective practice properly at the outset.
0: But you don't want a situation where you're only sending cases for hearings where you know what the outcome is 90% mm. that the officer is going to be found guilty of misconduct or gross misconduct. There's, there's got to be at some point a, a bit of uncertainty in, in that, hasn't there?
1: Um, well, yes, but there's, there's different, there's, if, if it's misconduct, it will go to a, um, a chief inspector or a, you know, a, a, an officer of that sort of middle rank, um, to look at and they can give out written warnings or they can say this isn't misconduct, deal with it, um, in a reflective practice way. And that can be done a lot quicker than setting up a, a, a three-person panel and, and holding a public hearing, um, which really should be reserved for the most serious cases that need the public scrutiny, need the accountability. And um, yes, there should always be room for panels to to make their own decisions on cases, but um, ultimately the most serious cases should be going to hearings. And we still see far too many cases that aren't at that top level going to hearings. Now, one of the other
0: complaints that's made, particularly from the media, when an officer is charged with an offence, so goes through the criminal process, is they have anonymity. And we've seen that in a number of cases recently uh, other people who are accused of offences and are charged mm-hmm. in serious cases are named by the Crown Prosecution Service or by by the police force that's involved in the prosecution. Why should that be any different for police officers?
1: Um, it does depend on the case um, and actually some of our members deal with very, uh, have sensitive roles or so they deal with informants uh, or they have um, protected identities within the force. Um, they may be, firearms officers is a good one um, that quite often ask for anonymity at court. Um, we've seen that with, with quite a number of high-profile shootings where the officer gets anonymity. Um, and that is because um, until they are proven guilty of something, they've still got to come back in that environment. Their children, they're, um, they don't necessarily be wanted to be on, known publicly what they do for a living and the fact they carry a gun, for example. Um, uh, and, and there's some real risks to their safety. Uh, for those reasons. But it's always a matter for the court. The court make that decision. They'll listen to the rationale for why. Um, uh, and there may be witnesses, etc., that that don't want, or there are reasons why they don't want their, their names used. So that's sometimes why panels give anonymity. But it is fairly rare. It's not the norm. Um, the vast majority of our members are named at court. Um, they do have the media waiting for them outside court. They are named in the press at the point that they are um, charged with something. And they are named and the press have ability to come to the the conduct hearings. So the vast majority uh, are actually named. Um, We think sometimes it goes too far because our members are often pilloried in the media before they even get a chance to give their version of events at a hearing. Um, And again, I've had cases where the BBC have been in the back of the the hearing process and at the end of a two or three day hearing they've come up to me and gone, was that it? We thought it was going to be something really salacious. Um, And they're really disappointed because they only see the headline from the force, you know, officer charged with X. And they come along expecting it to be something really um, newsworthy. And and in actual fact, it's not. It's quite mundane. And and they've just gone, well, I've wasted my two days waiting to listen to this. They should never have been dismissed. Um, Or they should, you know, that, that was the right course of action. And we've now found that the media aren't coming to a lot of the hearings because it's not what they're expecting. It's not as interesting as they thought.
0: Or, 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 is news no, or when, you,
1: when you actually dig down into the detail, there's real um, understanding for why things have happened the way they have. Uh, and it doesn't become as big a news story. But we, we, so we just want some more balanced reporting beforehand because sometimes our members feel like they're getting trial by media before they've had an opportunity to even give their version of events. Because we can't go to the media beforehand and say, this isn't what you think, you know, because then we'd be accused of trying to subvert... Mm. The, the hearing process.
0: But anyone who's an accused of an offence, if you come back to the criminal process, mm. um, it's almost unprecedented for the person that's accused to be have their name um, withheld from, mm. a, from a public hearing. And yet we have seen that in a number of cases where police officers have been accused, serious offences mm. and charged, where initially at least they're not named. And it does feel like I think from a media point of view that it's one rule for police officers, it's another rule for members of the public who are charged with offences.
1: The difference being that we ask our police officers to do a very difficult job on behalf of us as the public and they put themselves in that position. Um, When it goes wrong, they do actually deserve our protection until such point that they are actually proved to have done um, something illegal, and the vast majority of these cases—I mean, the, the high-profile ones—mostly um, shootings that you talk of—they get anonymity, or when someone dies, or when somebody yeah. somebody dies as a result of a um, uh, police, police incident. Um, and ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, our members come out of that at the other end and, and don't don't end up being um, found guilty of anything. So there's very good reason why you then wouldn't want their whole life ruined because of the media um, attention that, that, that it brings on them before the case has even happened. But, but,
0: but just, just to sort of follow on from that, I, I completely get that while the investigation's going on, that, that, you know, I think you make a very strong argument. But when they're charged, when the mm. Crown Prosecution says, Service says, right, there's sufficient evidence now to prosecute this person and take them to court, at that point, every other uh, accused person is named, apart from mm. if they're under 80. Why should that be different for police officers at that point?
1: Well, it isn't that different. The vast majority don't get anonymity. It's only in those rare cases where the court make that decision that they get anonymity. It's not something that is just a given. The court have to actually grant anonymity. They do, you have but to even before it goes to
0: court, there have been cases where the CPS has mm-hmm. not named that individual. The police the, or the IOPC which is bringing the case and investigating it, have not named that individual. Then it goes to court and there's an argument about it and the judge will decide. But they're given the benefit of the doubt up to then. And, and and some people have looked at it and said, that's that's not right, that doesn't seem fair.
1: Well, that's just the system that we have and it's down to the court's decision as to whether they grant that anonymity. And they can and they often do say no. Um, but if you look at the statistics, actually our members are more likely to be charged. Um, if you look at the... Um, guilty rate, if you like, from um, police officers that go to court. The the general public, it's about 80% of cases that are charged end up found guilty. With police officers, it's something like 30%, 40% that are actually found guilty. And most of those are guilty pleas, usually. Um, So from our perspective, our members are far more likely to be charged by the CPS. They're more likely to be uh, have cases brought against them by their own force, whether it's professional standards or whether it's the IOPC, than a general member of the public. And again, they are there because they are doing that job on behalf of the public, and something's gone wrong. So uh, I think, you know, by and large, we get it right, um, and it is still very difficult to get anonymity from a court. Um, but it's just those few cases that do actually get it. The vast majority don't.
0: Now, you've been doing this job for quite some time. You've got a sense of the sort of, the misconduct in the policing community that's out there and the cases that, that you have to deal yeah. with. Some people have looked at the sort of slew of cases over the past year or 18 months and says, what is going on with mm-hmm. the police service and standards and the culture and so on? What's your view? Are we seeing more cases because there's more in the public eye, because we have public <clears> hearings and we have a more independent watchdog. Or actually, is, is there something culturally that's, that's going wrong with the police?
1: Um, I, I don't think there's anything culturally going wrong. Um, I think some of it is down to modern technology and the way that we now communicate in the modern world. And once it's written down, it, it, stays, with, uh, it stays in the ether for life. So it's very difficult if you um, say something inappropriate, it could be forgotten about. If you write it down and you put it on social media, it's there for life. So um, culturally...
0: So you think those views, people have had unacceptable views and and disgusting posts that they put on social media. Those views were there, existed 10, 15, 20 years ago but they were just never written down, so they would never be found out, they wouldn't be proved? Uh,
1: undoubtedly. Um, I mean, we are a reflection of society. We are recruited from society. And it would be, I, I, would, I would be wrong if I said that there weren't people that held you know, racist, misogynist views within the police for service. There are, but they are much fewer than in the general public because they are generally not tolerated and they are weeded out by their own. If you look at some of those cases that have come up in the media, some of the WhatsApp groups where they've had some pretty vile things being said those have been outed by other officers who have looked at that and gone, that is not acceptable, and they have come forward and said, look at this. And uh, the vast majority of those that are dismissed from the police service are dismissed because of other officers reporting them not putting up with that type of behaviour. There's something like about 250-ish dismissals every year from the police service, and that that stayed fairly constant um, throughout the years, 250 to 300-ish roughly on on an average year. Um, only about 30 of those so uh, are due to a public complaint. The rest of them are from internal investigations that have been started by other officers going, that's not acceptable, we don't put up with that in the police service. So I think that speaks volumes about the culture of policing and police forces in general. We generally don't put up with wrongdoers within our, our, our own midst and we out them and we get rid of them. And I think the public should take great confidence in that. The vast majority of dismissals are from other officers reporting wrongdoing and going, that's not acceptable. Um, The very few cases where things have gone publicly wrong, um, uh, it's 0.01% of the complaints that come in, which is absolutely minuscule. And actually any sort of public service organization out there would bite their right arm off for our sort of satisfaction levels. And the number of complaints we get compared to the number of interactions that our members have every single day with the public. There's there's about 30,000 public complaints, but when you think of how many interactions every police officer has every single day, and and, and those working within police have every single day with the public, that's tiny. Tiny, tiny number of people that aren't satisfied, and only 0.01% of those result in somebody getting dismissed, or needing to be dismissed.
0: So in your overview of conduct issues, you can't see a sort of worsening culture um, and you don't see something that's really endemic
1: no, and, and if anything, I think um, the mentality has moved forward with society and and I think what what may have been acceptable ten or fifteen years ago isn't acceptable today and um, uh, and is outed today and, and I think that speaks volumes really that all of those cases you've talked about or you've, you've sort of touched on without mentioning the names um, have been from other officers going, this isn't acceptable, do something about it.
0: Phil Matthews, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. You're welcome. Thank you.